podcast about. It's a podcast where we sit down fortnightly to think about just random topics, talk about it, see where it's going. Uh, my name is Keith Ramsey, and as always, I am joined by Matthew Grace. Hello. And Peter Akerley. Hey! So, for today's topic, again, we're doing the birthday episode, so you guys had no idea what the idea of the topic was going to be coming in. I've laid out our fun little thing on the table for you guys to try to guess from, which includes just to give... Some indication, uh, Red Raincoat, Little Funko Pop of a Detective, The Hoverboard from Back to the Future, Back to the Future. Copy of The Evil Dead, Two Little Postcards with Scribblings on them, and A Book of Bizarre Crimes. Gotta, gotta admit, the Red Raincoat just kind of flew right over my head until this very moment. When so you assumed he just like hung, hangs up his raincoats on the mic stand? Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into anything, <laughs> I want to hear your guys' guesses at what the topic is. Now, I, th- I think we both had the same uh, yeah, immediate I th- assumption. I think we're both on the same... So, first of all, gut reaction the moment you gave us the clue. You clearly wanted to do an episode about, about double penetration. Yeah, and then my mind quickly thought, no way, it can't be that. That's too non-family friendly. Even I, though that's what the internet's all for. Uh, I assumed it wasn't that, not because it's too family friendly... Or not family friendly, <laughs> not too family friendly... I assumed it's just hard to come up with a whole hour's worth of talking about double penetration. That's fair. Anyway, I quickly moved to Deadpool, but no, that couldn't be it either. So it sounds like you focused too much on the letters specifically in there. So I did a quick bit of Googling off of the clue that you gave us, uh, and I ended up on some weird message board where uh, a couple people suggested that Zack Saturday was the same person as Danny Phantom, and... Didn't really move on from there, so I'm assuming we're talking about Danny Phantom, and you're the member of the uh, message board who believes that Zack Saturday is the same person. This is all just to give publicity to my message board. Yeah, of now, course. Now, I had no clue after my first few uh, guesses I threw out, so I went to Google, just like you did, Peter. Google Except- actually fucking helped you. Google was a lot friendlier to me. I typed in your clue words exactly as you said them, and the first thing that popped up was a Reddit post regarding some letters in some coffee, and that quickly brought me to the realization of what we're actually going to be talking about. Yeah, I pretty much said the line word for word. Uh, I just changed out the uh, FK for DP, Deadly Premonition, which the topic is about. The main reason I want to talk about this one is it's a game I very much loved, uh, and I had to play it quite a few times. We'll get into that for reasons. But yes. it recently got released on the Switch, which I got back into yeah, it because the second one's coming out. Right. So I want to talk about that before we get to that point, because hopefully I can convince you guys to, if you haven't played the game yet, get into it, get all the stuff done, and then we can play through the second one when it comes out and talk about that possibly. Yeah, I think that could probably work. Yeah. But Maybe. You're going to have to convince me, because from what I've read, it's just someone's fever dream, that oh. entire story. Oh, get, get ready. Well, let's, let's not jump into it just yet. Because another big thing did happen. It's the new year, 2020. It's not even the new year, it's the new decade. This is exciting times. We probably should have done a bit of this in the last episode, but I figure let's get this done now. Is there anything over the last year or even the decade that comes to mind that you'd like to like think back on or talk about? What was like your bests or anything like that? Would you like to Uh, go first, Matthew? Sure. I can't really think of anything too much aside from the release of Monster Hunter World on PC. Because up until that point, I'd been playing it on console, and I finally caved... A month after its release on PC and got it on PC to start playing. My PC is a budget build, so it can handle some things like Skyrim on higher resolution and uh, Warframe. That'd be fair, everything runs Skyrim at Prime. True, true. Yeah. But, uh, no, I first loaded up Monster Hunter World on PC, and oh my god, the stuttering was awful. And, like, <laughs> I had to download some optimization mod 
and lower all of the graphical settings to the lowest possible and even <laughs> reduce my resolution to the lowest setting possible before I could have stable frame rate. But you so, got there? I got there. But that really heavily influenced me to upgrade my PC, and now I am just... Oh, I'm in love with 60 frames, Monster Hunter. It's glorious. Glorious. Uh, I mean, if we're going to talk about games, I think the biggest game of the decade that we have to talk about would be Breath of the Wild. I feel like that yes, game yeah. not only was like an amazing game in the Zelda franchise and on the Nintendo, but is very much, I would say, a heavy contender for probably like one of the best games ever made. I, I think there's a couple kind of standouts that we have to talk about. And the sad thing to me is how much of it comes from the Switch right now because oh, yeah. of the fact that when the Switch first came out, I was one of the like heaviest proponents against buying a Switch because I thought it was super cool, but there just wasn't a big enough backlog of games for them to put out for me to actually be interested in. But they have all the Wii U games they're going to port over. (laughs) But then the moment that uh, Breath of the Wild came out and so many other games since then, it's now become the console I play the most because there's so many version exclusives that are phenomenal. So I would definitely put Breath of the Wild up there. I think Super Mario Odyssey is another phenomenal game. It's exactly what we wanted it's like the spiritual successor to super mario 64 oh definitely so both of those are huge uh games and with games like it's been an interesting decade for the games definitely too at the same time Mm -hmm. because we have to keep in mind like nintendo's even had like a weird decade too because the wii u was still active at the beginning of this decade yeah Yeah. and the switch brought that all back um indie games became so much bigger now compared to what they were in the early 2000s ever since nintendo started to open up to more of a variety to the games that they allow even more mature games well Well, i would even argue that like steam had a much bigger impact on indie games reaching the level exactly not even with uh, nintendo but games like fez and undertale have just gotten so much more publicity because of just the way the games market works now uh, on top of that, we've also had an increase on what most people are not going to be happy about. Things like microtransactions have really taken off. Yeah. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't have an explicit problem with microtransactions so long as they're purely for cosmetic changes. Yeah. The moment microtransactions be- turn a game into a pay-to-win game is the moment I lose faith in the game yeah. and just stop like, playing it. Uh, I, I'm torn on that because my favorite, one of my favorite games to play on the phone is Fate Grand Order, which is pretty much a gotcha historical waifu collection game. You can get pretty far in the game without it, but you're going to need some five stars, really, when you start getting to the later part of the original story, which is the seven uh, singularities, which you can, by all means, get without spending money. In fact, I've gotten three five stars before I started dropping money in the game. I have dropped money in the game. I got two more five stars. <laughs> I just think it's it's also important to bring up mobile gaming. Like, when people talk about microtransactions, their first thought is always like, oh, EA and their bullshit Call of Duty Modern War 5 or whatever it is. And all of those games, but I think it's much more important to bring up the fact that mobile gaming is what made microtransactions a thing because all of those games are, you play for free, but to enjoy playing, you have to pay $5 every day or else it's not fun for you. Yeah, there's definitely games that do it well and games that do it really poorly, (laughs) pretty much, wasn't it? It was one of these uh, early sports titles that pretty much it was just literally a casino was the the gotcha system in it. But then other games like, uh, for example, I play a lot of League of Legends and Everything in that game, you can buy specifically what you want, or you can buy a loot box and gamble on possibly getting something really good. So it's a, I feel like I'm willing to forgive the system if you can literally buy the specific thing instead of going through the whole... Yeah, the there. moment they change it from being able to buy exactly what you need to forcing you to buy a box with a 1% chance, and now you have to buy 100 boxes before you got a decent chance of getting it. And my favorite game of all time, Warframe, does it phenomenally. And you guys really need to start playing. I want you to play with me. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> but uh, 
the game is completely free to play. Even the premium currency in the game, you can trade it between players. It's not account locked. Oh, nice. So if you want to buy anything from the shop, like more weapon slots, more slots for your Warframes, then uh, you can collect some later late-game gear and trade them to other players for premium currency. Oh, not bad. And there aren't... Uh, there's like one or two different loot box things in the Warframe store, but everyone knows that they're useless. They're just to get some <laughs> random mods that you can just pick up in a couple missions. Uh, so to brush past video games for a little second, yeah. if we're going to talk about best things from the past year, I think it's also important to talk about movies. And one of the ones that has to be up there just for the fact that it's the culmination of like 11 years worth of work and it ties together so many different plot lines Justice so nicely. League. Yes, Justice League, of course. Uh, no, Avengers Endgame. We've already yeah. done a podcast about it. We're not going to jump too heavily into it right now, but I think it is important to bring up how incredible that movie was and how much of a defining moment for a generation well, it was. Well, that'd be the thing. You have to argue, is it Endgame or the first Avengers movie that like is the big important one? Because whether you like it or not, Marvel movies have very much changed what movies are. We've had so many different franchises trying to start their own connected universe oh yeah the dark universe keeps oh my failing God. And they keep trying and they keep not succeeding <laughs> the justice league one is kind of eh. uh, apparently they're working towards the monster universe which is king kong and godzilla it's just it's one of those things where just or not justice league fuck you now you've got me saying it <laughs> avengers and marvel in general kind of redefined the way movies work and by building an interconnected universe you encourage people not to buy tickets to this one movie, but to the 12 movies that come out afterwards. Exactly. So all studios now want to build a cinematic universe to capitalize on that same kind of budget. And, uh, and the idea of storytelling as well. Uh, also, it's forcing us back into the gaming market there, because you thought you got away with this, Peter, but you didn't. Uh, essentially, the one thing I also wanted to mention was, another big thing happened during this decade that kind of could easily be forgotten. The rise and fall of Telltale. Yes. Right. Because they very much made that. narrative gaming... Uh, like it was still like a popular thing, but they redefined it to the episodic system. Choose your own adventure. They brought back essentially point and click adventure games, and they bought up so many IPs they crushed their own company for a while. There, all of their IPs started being brought off of all the different marketplaces because they collapsed so hard. But uh, we've started to see to see some of them come back to the different marketplaces. So it looks like even if Telltale isn't going to keep making new games, or going to start gaining access to some of the older games again. Which is definitely good. Bringing us back to movies because we're <laughs> done with video games. I also think it's important to give a shout out uh, to one of the movies that actually came out fairly recently. But I think is spectacular for what it represents. And that's Knives Out. If you haven't seen it, it's a murder mystery uh, style movie. Kind of akin to like the old school Clue and all those other movies. But the thing I love about this movie is it's got twists and turns. And it's got huge spoilers that could be revealed to you. And in the age of the internet... That shouldn't be possible. Like, the fact that that movie, I walked into it, had no idea what was going to happen, thought I figured it out halfway through, and then was surprised in the end, and then kind of worked backwards from there. The fact that it rewards you for multiple viewings with stuff like that, I think is phenomenal, and I'm honestly surprised that it worked out as well as it did, because when you make a movie today's, in today's day and age, you fully expect that movie to get spoiled before it hits theaters, oh, and everyone's oh, yeah. known the big twist. So, I'm very impressed with how they handled Knives yeah, It was a very good movie, and I'm hoping it... We start seeing more movies that will do stuff like that and not feel the need to have a big connected universe. They just focus on the movie. Yeah. For example, Knives Out was such a good movie. I would like to see more of the detective doing other random things. They like yeah. can even have a situation where the girl that was the nurse is now his essentially Watson as they solve crime, something like that. I don't want the family back. No. Because it was a good one-off, but like having her come back with the detective, I feel it could work as a good dynamic. One thing I also... I, I've had this discussion with other people. One thing I think would be hilarious is... 
like, my main complaint is while the movie was great and the detective was great, Daniel Craig's accent was a little bit wonky at the best of times. I would love to see them come back and have another uh, Benoit Blanc in a different movie, but him to use a completely different accent and it to never be addressed. It's just <laughs> every movie, it's the same actor playing the same character, but with a completely different accent. I can accept that. Well, I think that covers most of the stuff we want to talk about for the year. Is there anything coming up that you're really looking forward to in the new year? Well, yeah. I'm definitely looking to bring us back to video games because that's Final what we Seven remake. Final Fantasy VII Remake, also the new Animal Crossing game. Animal Crossing. I'm looking forward to like cross platform, or not cross platform, but cross, cross system uh, playing where you can join other people's towns. Yes. What I'm looking forward to is uh, I recently went to EB Games to make a purchase, and I found out that within the next month they're releasing on the Switch a collection of the Mega Man Zero games. Yep. And I am really excited for that because I only have ever had Mega Man Zero Three, I think. And I played my cousin's four or five, but that was all I ever got of the game, and I loved it. I couldn't find it anywhere. But now I'm so happy I'll finally be able to play it on a current system, and I'll be able to play every single game in the series. <laughs> so look forward to our Mega Man episode as well. Yeah. Because like, with movies, there's not really any big ones coming out that like, I just, I'm just kind of flat excited for. Like the Marvel ones, there's not much details. I guess I'm kind of excited for the Doctor Strange movie. Video games is definitely the bigger one right now. Yeah. And... My God, am I going to be so poor in, like, spring? Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. Resident Evil 3, Final Fantasy 7, Animal Crossing. Monster Hunter Iceborne, three, two days. I do enjoy how uh, two of the games you listed as being very excited for are both remakes. The first two you listed, in fact, are remakes. And it's just funny the world we live in. But also, those games are old enough that they deserve a remake so we can enjoy them without having to force ourselves to enjoy them through nostalgia. Oh, definitely. But we could just enjoy them for the great game that they and are. And in the Resident Evil case... They did enough to Resident Evil 2 that it was a fresh experience, even though it was telling the same story over again, that I'm excited to see what they're going to do with 3 in that concept. I assume and it'll be a similar approach, where it won't be the exact same game with a fresh paint of skin, or paint of skin, fresh <laughs> coat of paint. It'll be fresh a coat of different skin. game with the same story behind it. And for the 7 remake, just so much story of what that game is supposed to be, and how it's going to like have new things added in that even change the story, I'm just... I. The idea of what it could be, I think, is what's getting me so excited. Yeah, that's fair. So, shall we uh, start talking about double penetration? Yeah, it's time to go into the world of Greenvale and solve a murder and have the whistle tune stuck in head forever. And for those of you who don't know, it's... So that's going to be there forever. You're welcome. Yay! So, the game starts before you even start the game. Because the opening crawl of the game shows two... Well, I'm going to start off. This game looks like it has PlayStation 2 graphics. Hers came out on the Xbox 360. So, feature creep was a very big problem in the making of this game. It was very ambitious, and I'm surprised they got as much as they could into it. An open world was definitely not made for this game. But sometimes the models look good, sometimes look bad. In this case, the two twins that we meet at the beginning of the game uh, and their grandfather to walk through the woods look horrifying. Yeah. Uh, so you have a hard cut to them walk through the woods. There's some red petals falling down. They look up. Girl is on the tree. She's bound up to it. She's been sliced open in her abdomen and has like a white snake crawling around her. The children look excited and the uncle or grandfather looks slightly surprised. So I don't know what's going on. Again, the animations for facial things in this game get pretty crazy sometimes. And this scene of just showing her dead body lasts probably a good 20, 25 minutes. 
And it's like, oh, it must be a game that just starts up like that. And then as soon as the scene's done, it's like the start menu. It's like, wait a second. Huh. So you hit start. And that's when we end up meeting the amazing detective of the game, Francis York Morgan. Call him York. That's what everyone else calls him. And he really asserts his dominance in the opening of this game because we are introduced to him having a cell phone call while driving his car in a storm down the highway while smoking a cigarette and on the computer. Essentially a whole bunch of things that, by today's standards, kind of are designed to make you hate the character. But at the same time, you get that little bit of intrigue because he's having a conversation with someone on the phone about what else then? The BDSM relationship of Tom and Jerry. What? Yes. He's trying to explain to the person on the phone that they don't hate each other, they live together, and they are partners, and Tom is asking for it. Tom needs this to fulfill himself, and Jerry's his partner will fulfill those de- the desires. <sighs> we don't get to see where the conversation goes, because he starts talking about this, but before he can make his point, the phone goes out. Good. You think that's good, Matt? You don't want to hear his explanation? No, I have questions that need answering, and I'm hoping we finally get an answer when the second game comes out this year. He has this huge spiel of, like, why won't they give me a satellite phone, yada yada. All of a sudden, man in red trench, uh, red grain coat in the middle of the highway with an axe. He kind of swerves to get past them. This is all while he's trying to light a cigarette. Car goes tumbling into a hill. He pops out of the car perfectly fine. Goes to light the cigarette. Cigarette's broken. So he pulls out another cigarette, lights it, takes one puff from it, and puts it away. All right. Starting to get a picture of this guy now. This is York, the main character. Beautifully done. Kind of eccentric already. So, you, you can tell by getting into this game, uh, Swerty, when he was doing all of the stuff, that's the creator of the game, it seems like he very much took the idea of what Twin Peaks was, which was a, a pretty popular TV show that kind of started going down after they revealed what the killer was in that one. Yeah. But, clearly, York is modeled off of uh, uh, the main detective in that one, uh, Dale Cooper. Dale Cooper is the detective of Twin Peaks. And if you think that's correct... Please shoot us an email at whatismypodcastabout.com and be sure to like this video to show you agree with Keith about the name of the detective from Twin Peaks. I'm not uh, even going to bother re- uh, correcting that. Unnecessary plug. <laughs> but if you agree with that, <laughs> I'm going to stop now. Essentially, he's muddled off after him in some ways, but he's so far detached from reality as oh, a character yes. because he's also talking this whole time to Zack. Now, we're going to get into what Zack is later in the story. But, for the most part, he's just a clever way of interacting with the player by breaking the fourth wall without actually technically breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I'll... You as the player, for all purposes, are Zack in the concept of the gameplay. There's a couple different points where you're prompted with a choice. And the way they do it is uh, he asks Zack a question and you as Zack answer to kind of dictate the flow of the game. And yeah. like from what I've gathered from reading, wasn't Zack kind of typically viewed as what imagine an imaginary friend of York? Yes, in a sense. But again, it goes so much deeper than that. But we'll yes. get into this. Yeah. We'll get into it. Uh, so this is where we get the first gameplay of the game. I know it's been a long time, and we haven't gotten a gameplay yet. It's like a Japanese RPG. Oh, JRPGs! But essentially, what happens is this is where we find out how the game combat works. Now, it's very janky combat-wise, and it gets boring really quickly. It's very out of place, and how combat works with some things is really weird because you have your handgun, which you think, oh, the handgun's going to be really good in this, but then you get a guitar later in the game, which is so much better when you smack people with it. (laughs) It's like rock, paper, scissors. Gun beats person, person beats guitar, guitar beats gun. Uh, So how combat works is you're having an investigation. Usually the sky will turn red and get spooky. And then these ghost spirit zombies 
come out of the ground and instead of walking at you like a normal person, they bend over backwards and lunge at you. Or sometimes try to shoot you with a shotgun. Alright, so nightmare fuel with shotguns. And a lot of people are like, this is very out of place. There's a few ways you can take this, because this always happens when he's investigating, more or less. And one way to take it is that it's his mental interpretation of investigating, or gathering clues. So losing to the zombies means essentially hitting a dead end, and not so much him actually physically dying. So that's why the profiling always happens this time, where when you click the clues, it kind of unfolds a story of what's happening in that situation, prior or, in some weird situations, forward. Like, the opening one lets you see him meeting everyone in the town later on in the game. Okay. But every other profiling well, from this point on only shows events that happened. Deadly premonition. There's got to be a little bit of future scene. Well, another interesting thing about the combat is apparently the combat was actually tacked on last minute. Yeah, it's Because the game was essentially, uh, essentially just, you know, an adventure murder mystery. You're supposed to solve the mystery. But when they were shipping, getting ready to ship it... They didn't think it would do well to a Western audience without combat. So it's like, well, let's just throw this in here. To be fair, that's how a lot of decisions are made is, I don't think this will do well in a Western audience. Uh, Add more guns to the game. Like, essentially that's what happened with Death Stranding, but yes, go on. Now, there is a really cool thing about this, I would say. It's the fact that even though the combat was clearly tagged on afterwards and it's pretty bad, the game does actually a really good job of explaining it later on. Okay, I'll hold you to that. Uh, So... After you make your way through the forest, getting into town, getting countered by the Ranko Killer, the main antagonist of the game, who is the serial killer you've been chasing for some time, is trying to essentially stop York from making it into Greenvale to start the investigation. Very poorly, I might add, he breaks a generator, but leaves the fuse box, and you can use the fuse box and another generator to turn the lights on to open up a gate. Why didn't he just, you know, destroy the gate? But I guess York could climb over it, realistically, but... Ugh. Essentially, you make it out of the forest fine. Okay. And you start making your way towards town. The game makes you walk to town because your car is destroyed, which takes a bit of time. And when you get to the bridge into town, you end up meeting two of the main characters of the story, Emily and George. George is the sheriff of the police department in Greenvale, and Emily is his deputy. Bit of a weird conversation. This is where you start really seeing more quirks of York. He introduces himself to everyone by pulling out his badge, holding it there in front of him. It says, Special Agent Francis York Morgan. Call me York. Everyone does. And Emily's like, oh, okay. And then George shows up and he does the exact same thing to George, word for word. (laughs) (laughs) And this whole time, throughout the game, he will also talk to Zach just in front of people. And you think, oh, it's just a small aside. No, everyone's aware he's talking to someone named Zach. Because people start asking questions about it later on. Yeah. Oh, well, it's good that they have that detail. And that's essentially the opening of the game. Is you meet the two uh, other uh, police officers. There's another police officer you'll meet a bit later. But these two are kind of the primary ones that are going to be with you for the whole game. This is where the Twin Peaks really starts showing. Because the whole concept of this game is you get in a town and the investigation starts. You know that someone in the town is the killer. All of the characters in the town are uniquely made NPCs that all have their own daily routines. The game's set up on a 24-hour clock, so you have to do a lot of waiting around until something's available to do. Like following a lead that's only available at 5 and you start the game at 9. And you have to wait that whole time for it to get to 5 p.m. There's a lot of little fun things you do within the town, but all the NPCs are actually doing their own things. You can spy on them throughout the day. You can actually go up to the houses, peep in the windows, see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Anyone can be, like, the game is set up to make you feel anyone can literally be a suspect. Okay. You don't know who it's going to be. And all the characters are fun and unique in their own way with their own little quirks that make them really weird. Uh, some characters of note is uh, you're staying at a hotel, which another homage back to Twin Peaks. Yep. Run by an old lady named Polly who is very bad at hearing and very much insists on things being done a certain way. 
for example, uh, I've shown you guys the clip uh, uh, from the game where you're sitting at this very large table and she's on the opposite end, knowing full well she can't hear a goddamn thing you're saying and answer your question with that oh, a whole thing of, oh, can you tell me about the town, Polly? What? We're out of pepper. No, <laughs> Polly, we're, we're, tell me about the goddamn town. <laughs> There's other characters in the town that end up serving some similar purposes that are also pretty interesting. Uh, one of my favorite ones is Sigourney, who is very clearly an homage to one of my favorite characters from Twin Peaks, which is the Log Lady. Sigourney is the pot lady, and she carries a pot. She keeps saying, the pot's going to get cold. And she gives you a bunch of little side quests in the town where you have to drive her back to her home before the pot gets cold. Okay, yeah. Uh, you sure. seem confused, Matt. Doesn't this all make perfect sense to you so far? Not in the slightest. It's a very logical progression of events. Well, what if I told you, as a FBI special agent, you can get a part-time job at the local grocery store? Yeah, that would be more believable. Well, it's a thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In a crane game like thing. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> or what about to upgrade your car? You have to just run around a junkyard and find a random piece, and it's pretty much Minesweeper. Minesweeper. Yeah. yeah. He's like the part you need is an A7, and like oh, okay, and you have to find your way through the maze to get to A7. Okay, so there's no like mines or death traps. There's no mines. Oh. Sure, sure, yeah, there's no mines or death traps. Well, well oh, no, 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 We're just going to let Matt believe there's no mines or death traps for when he plays the game. I'm just saying there's definitely no mines. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good to know, I guess. So, essentially, at this point, you're introduced to the other police officer, Thomas. He's a little flamboyant, as uh, York puts it. <laughs> but he makes the best food in the game, which is... I. Uh, Heightened by the fact that there's a game uh, item in the game called Thomas's Biscuit that when you eat it, oh by the way I didn't mention this, but there's a sleep and a hunger meter, and if any of them go down, you get penalized and you start suffering penalty wise. Like uh, just you don't react as fast, your characters get sluggish, or he just complains a lot because he's hungry. You have to feed him, make him sleep. You also have to change his clothes, otherwise you get the stinky agent penalty, which has flies buzz around you. You have to shave, otherwise you get penalties. You also have to check the weather reports. That gets you bonuses. I do like all the detail that they put into this. Uh, you also have to send your suits to be washed. So these are all the fun mechanics you have to do living the life of York in this town. So, first order of business is you have to head over to the hospital to examine the body. This is where we get the second encounter with uh, the bat, like the combat, where... First, you have to solve a chess puzzle that the doctor, uh, Usha, has left for you to test how intelligent you are. And As then, you do when dealing with FBI investigators, you're like, I need to set aside a puzzle to prove that you actually know what you're doing. Uh, and this ends up leading into, the, uh, you have to work your way through the hospital fighting these ghosts. Now, the interesting thing about this, now this is touching on something that happens a bit later, but there are times in the game where a character will comment, oh, I heard some gunfire or something going on in there. Are you okay? Which starts raising questions about, are you literally, is this, in, like... So if this is the logic of, like, this is how they represent investigations and him being defeated by zombies is him meeting a dead end, does that mean he's still firing his gun off wildly <laughs> while I'm thinking about, like, is York just walking around just firing his gun into the roof? Like, I need this to solve the case. <laughs> I only think in dangerous situations. Is there anyone ever around when he's investigating in those instances? No. Okay. Except for bosses later on, which is another thing because there's really two bosses in this game. So it's a really weird situation where you could tell combat was kind of added in later. But he makes his way down to the morgue. You examine the body of Anagram, the first victim. Anagram. That does not play into anything. 
Oh, her name is just Anagram. <laughs> uh, well, there's some disappointment. Uh, but he ends up finding a seed lodged in her throat. You find out that she was carved open and her tongue was removed. A red seed? Yeah, a red seed. A red seed. You find out the tongue was bitten off and that the seeds were used in some weird calling card, essentially, is the belief. Weird. And she has an engraving on her hand that from pressure. Of she, it looks like she was gripping something really tight and it left what looks like an upside down peace symbol. Those are your clues to go off of. Because you find out that the seed uh, is on this person, you track it back to a whole bunch of other cases you have. So York immediately takes full control of the case saying, I'm in charge now. This is linked to all my other cases. This is FBI jurisdiction now. You're no longer working here. Uh, up to this point, George, uh, George, who is the sheriff, gets referred to as the monarch of Greenvale. Just because he's like throwing his weight around like, I'm in charge, so you just better stay in the back and just observe. Okay. With this, you end up wanting to go to the first criminal scene, which is you go up to uh, the mountains where the woman's uh, body was found. <laughs> you have to start finding clues in the real world, which gets a little bit more interesting because one of them is in a bird's nest, and the only way to get it is you have to shoot it out of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a gunshot. Are you all right? So maybe that does explain why other people hear gunshots when anybody's investigating. Rather than getting a ladder or like climbing no, something, but this is he can't reach it. He just shoots it. This with isn't his gun. a shadow world situation. This is the real world, and there's children sitting on a log, not even too far from him. <laughs> He's like hmm, something in that tree in that bird's nest. Better get it out. Bang! 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 I'm saying that's probably what's happening when he's investigating. Oh, there's a book up there that might be related to the crime. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, so he ends up investigating the kids. They're like, oh, she's a goddess. And she's not actually dead. Sorry, quick jump. You said he's investigating the kids. And we've already agreed him investigating is him firing his gun. Does he just shoot a couple kids? I mean, I wouldn't blame him because I'm pretty sure they're soulless evil beings from the look of them. But no, he doesn't okay. at this time. He just asks them questions. They... Swear up and down that Anna is a goddess. She's not dead. She's a goddess. Of course. And uh, she's now the fairy of the forest. Okay. All right. Which, uh, because of these kids, now every single victim is called a fairy of the forest afterwards. All right. Cults. Worshipping fairies. Well, it gets very much cult-like because uh, they end up finding a photo of a man who's all gimped up with a hole on his back that has what looks like the upside down peace symbol. That's literally got on his back. So this is like, the, this is the culprit. The culprit has this symbol on his back. So he immediately demands George and Emily show their backs. It's clearly a man in the photo. It's like, why are you asking Emily to do this? Yeah. Very clearly from the beginning of this game, it's like, okay, all the female people in town are just off the list. Even though Diane later becomes a main suspect in the whole aspect of it. But we find out that Emily, of course, has no marks on her back. And George is just full of scars. He also has uh, two dumbbells named Arnold and Sylvester. Solid. <laughs> do you get the reference? I do to... get that okay, reference. <laughs> the Looney Tunes. Of course. Uh, you end up finding the murder location, which is an old mill. And again, another combat scene where you actually get pursued by the Rainco Killer this time. You have to outrun him. Now, this is where the game adds some of the cool aspects of the combat uh, areas, where some of the puzzles are actually pretty fun. And one of my favorite things is up till you point you find out who the Ranko killer is, you never actually fight them in the game. It's always you're running from them. So you have to run through corridors uh, to try to escape them as they're throwing the axe at you and trying to catch you to kill you. But at the same time, there's also little areas where you'll end up in a dead end and you have to hide in the room from them and hold your breath to make sure they don't find you while you're hiding in the room, which is a very nerve-wracking situation. Huh. Because it's a bad and good thing about the game, but there's a lot of sudden death kills <laughs> that you have to be really worried about. And a few of them are with uh, quick time events that you have to have like inhuman reactions to actually get to. So you're going to die a few times. Yeah. 
Great. I'm great at quick time events. <laughs> All the sarcasm included and intended. Uh, so at this point, the game kind of goes into a number-by-numbers thing. We're then introduced to the whole town where he forces the police to call every citizen in town to the town hall to get to know all of them. This is where you introduce the whole cast of characters. Again, there's the upsetting thing about this game is all the characters are great. And you get to know quite a few of them through side missions, but not all of them are very crucial to the story, unfortunately. There's really out of, I think, about 27 characters in the game five to seven of them are actually important to the story. And I mean important to the story that they don't show up in just a passing because the uh, game's broken up into chapters and each chapter is a death of a victim. There's a total of four, five victims? Yeah, I think it's five. And each chapter is devoted to essentially that one situation. Okay. So there are characters from the town that kind of pop up in each one, but not really significantly moving forward. For example, the two twins show up twice but only to get a piece of information and immediately go to the next thing uh whereas uh there's also the wife of nick who ends up becoming a suspect later on she's there literally for one murder chapter uh and her whole thing is she suspects that her husband's cheating on her and that's all we get from her (laughs) and then she doesn't show up again and the reason this uh is upsetting is because there's a part at the end of the game where if you had more connection to these characters it would be so much more emotional, but it just kind of comes off very weird. Uh, from this point on, it's just we go essentially chapter to chapter, character dies, you have to solve their death, and you get more and more evidence that leads you quickly towards who the characters are. Uh, some of the note characters uh, to talk about is we have, of course, uh, I've already mentioned Thomas, Emily, and George. We meet Mr. Stewart, which is the very rich, eccentric old man in a wheelchair with a gas mask on, who owns most of the town, and he has an uh, assistant who only talks to you in rhyme. Gotta love rhymes. Yep. You don't talk to Mr. Stewart. He t- you talk to him towards Mr. Stewart, and Mr. Stewart tells his assistant what to say back to you. And he says it in rhyme. That sounds like a good time. Uh, he, Matt, starts talking. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Anyways, he starts talking about like crazy madness, of, like, you know, phantom images, purple skies and all that stuff. And it's like, hmm, this sounds just like all those combat scenarios. But everyone thinks he's crazy. And then he says, when the time is right, you will know to come to me. Remember that for a bit. Okay. We then check, for some reason, we left Th- uh, Thomas, the other police officer, to check his back till now. So it's in the, up on the stage like, now Thomas, can I see your back? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and this is when we find out he has a tattoo with a heart on it. It's a heart yeah. with an arrow. And the letters, love G. (laughs) All right. Yet another mystery for this game to solve. And trust me, we will solve this. (laughs) Uh, Some other noted characters that don't show up in this situation is Becky, who is Anna's best friend in the show, and same with her mother. Uh, We then also talk to Diane, uh, who is uh, the owner of the museum. Oh, wait, my mistake. It's not Diane we talked to here. We talked to Carol, which is Thomas's sister. Yes. She runs one of the bars in town, and she comes very off, much off like this person's probably going to be a victim down the road, a very femme fatale-like character. She runs the bar, Thomas's sister. After everyone in the town is met, they all kind of just run off to do their own things, and this is one of the first parts in the game where you just get to sit around and do your own fun thing. So the town is full of a lot of fun mini-games, as I said. There's the Minesweeper in the junkyard. There is going fishing. You can talk to the gun mechanic to upgrade your guns. Go eat at the diner. Remember that if you don't eat and don't sleep, your character gets really bad. 
Got to shave. Got it's like living a life. Right. Got to okay. You can work at the grocery store. Now there is something I want to mention just because it became so important for me down the line. But when you go to the grocery store for the first time, you can buy a spiritual map, which is like hot spots of spiritual activity in the town. And the one you pick up is for a tunnel where it's a story about back when the mill was still active, there was a big fight between the people that ran at the mill and environmentalists. And the story pretty much culminates with. It's a Romeo and Juliet story where one of the environmentalists is married to one of the mill workers and he ends up accidentally killing her. So you go there and what do you do in this hot, uh, supernatural hotspot? You just shoot a bunch of ghosts in the tunnel. Oh. But what it gives you is what's important. I got the unlimited machine gun. So unlimited ammo? Exactly. This will be important down the line because combat is a bitch in this game. Uh. <laughs> so I don't have to worry about reloading. Or my ammo count. <laughs> this item will get you through the whole game, and it's the only reason I beat the end of the game. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, at this point, you're kind of just going around location to location to get clues. The first you stop at the uh, very different from the rest of the town museum. A <laughs> big museum in a very small town. Uh, you do more boss fighting things. You get some more information. Uh, you also uh, start learning more about a new character shows in a town called Kaysen. The FK that showed up in the coffee. Forest casing. Right. And he sells trees. Hence forest. You're starting to catch on to the logic of the game at this point, Matthew. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, and you can also, at this point, get a little side quest where you can get information to get Becky to talk to you. But you can completely miss this because you have to specifically be at Anna's house at the right time of day to talk to her mother to find clues that you can use to get a diary that you can then go back to Becky to get her to give you some information that you can go to her boyfriend to get some information and have to know you have to search his motorcycle at a specific time when he's in his house but not actually at his motorcycle to pull up drugs which is a <laughs> he tries to pass <laughs> off as it's natural goods that enhance <laughs> it's a snack Again, there's no indication you have to do any of this. No, this is all just random stumbling around that you fall across this solution. And <laughs> this is what I was talking about, where some of the side characters don't get a lot of love in the game. Because if you don't do this, Becky just dies. Like, she's, she dies regardless. But she just dies, and you're like, okay. Yeah. Instead of knowing the story that, like, oh, she was supposed to be getting married to Quint, her boyfriend. But then she gave back the ring because she got caught up in some stuff. And Quint's selling drugs out of his motorcycle. <laughs> Not drugs. Natural health enhancers. Well, the end of this quest is that after you get him to tell you all the information, you go back and give him the ring. And he's like, oh, I did it all for Becky. I wanted to give her a life because she's rich. She lives in a really big mansion next to the water. And he lives in a trailer behind his dad's bar. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end, he's like, oh, man, can I just go say sorry to her before you arrest me? He's like, why would I arrest you? You just have snacks on you. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's spectacular. <laughs> It's just like some of the stuff is like, why? Woo, boy. It's not part of his case. He doesn't care. I mean, that's what it pretty much boils down to. He cares about the red coat killer and nothing else. Uh, so I was saying, uh, we have our first murder that happens while we're here. So uh, you end up following a lead where you end up going to the diner. You find out that Nick and Diane don't have alibis for Anna's death and they might be linked to it. So this is the part where you end up talking to Diane about, uh, not Diane, uh, his wife. Uh, her name slips my mind because she's not important but anyway she, she's like I'll talk to you but only after I'm off work so meet me behind the diner you're there you're talking to her pretty much you learn that Nick and Diane just talk about art all the time at a bar and then they disappear at like midnight yeah 
and he doesn't show back up home until like two. It's like, oh, they're definitely having an affair or something, which the game kind of ends up saying they don't. They just really like talking about art until two in the morning. Huh. Of course. But it's a well-known fact that Diane does kind of just sleep with everyone in the town. Yeah. But uh, essentially while you're there, you get a, a call from Thomas like saying something's happened at Becky Ames' house. So you have to get there. You get there. Quint's freaking out, which you wouldn't know why if you didn't do the side quest. But you go into the house. You have to fight your way through a bunch of ghosts again. You get to the end. You, you end up discovering, oh, the green could over hill. Here you attack Becky. Becky had evidence that pointed towards who the killer was. You end up finding her. She's still alive. Her tongue has been bitten off. And she's tied up in her shower. With a bunch of chains that are like going through the whole bathroom in a very elaborate way. Which, why? I, I, don't, I don't know. The Ranko killer specifically left her alive. And when you find out who the killer is, this also doesn't make a lot of sense of why it was done this way. But essentially, you find out she's alive and it's like, oh, quick, we need to get her out. Uh, so Thomas, Emily, and George are all here with you. And it's like, quick, cut the wire, get her down. And then York's like, no, don't. Don't do that. And he's like, we gotta get her down! And he cuts the wire, and it just pretty much tightens everything and just kills her right there. And she spits out a key. Huh. You seem like you've lost the plot again, Matthew. No, 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 no. Everything's still sticking to... Uh... Well, you see, her tongue was gone, so they put the key in her mouth. Yeah, yeah, they needed to make room for the key. I see, <laughs> I see. And the key opens up her vault. Clarify? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a vault in her house that has a sketchbook, which has a diary page, which is blank, but when you scrape the pencil over it, it tells you a message. Okay. We then find out at this point that there's a few key things in play key i like what you did there keith god damn it <laughs> we end up finding out our own play here is we now know that there is a person that has a relationship with multiple women and those women seem to be dying okay and both of them feel like they got involved with something they probably shouldn't but she also gave a clue for safekeeping to her sister diane who is also a suspect in this case right now her and nick even though we've already narrowed it down to a man much earlier in the story. Yeah. A, a man or a woman that looks very much like a man, which is no woman in this town. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which, because all the women look like horrifying stick monsters. Yes. The, the only one that actually looks kind of fine is Emily. And I think that's just because they put more attention on her because she's in the game a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we then decide uh, that, oh, we have to follow Nick and Diane, see what they're getting up to. So the next chapter is following Diane. Guess who's going to die in this one? Nick. Obviously it's Diane. Emily. Close. Oh. It's Diane. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you end up staking out uh, the bar. You have to follow them as they leave. Uh, Diane never shows up. So yes. Nick goes off to go find her. You have to follow him in the for game's first ever. Stay slightly far enough behind the car to not be seen, but not oh. too far away that you don't get caught. I hate those mini games in every game well, that they appear in. You see, I would agree with you, but it's worse in this game because the driving controls are horrible in this oh, yes. game. Because I, I game, agree with you, but it's worse. Because in this game, driving I don't think was even a thought when this game was like, just hold down a button and it moves. But the cars like start wiggling for no goddamn reason. <laughs> Not to mention, you get tired by turning on the siren in the police cars. <laughs> Your stress meter starts going up and you start losing health if it goes too high. <laughs> You can kill yourself by running the siren on the car. Because the siren isn't actually a button he switches, he just screams into a megaphone the siren noises. But anyways, the driving is horrible. Uh, either your cart is floating or is in the ground. 
Even with the Switch version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have to follow Nick back. The car almost gets run off the road. So you end up losing track of Nick. You get to the place. George was stalking uh, stalking the uh, museum the whole time. So when you get there, George is like, what happened? You guys lost track of you guys. No one's gone in or out. And I haven't seen Nick. So York's like, well, I'm going to go in by myself and all of you guys stay around here. You end up finding a secret path in the back that leads into the place. This is where we get introduced to a new type of enemy for some reason, which is pretty much the ring girl, instead of coming out of TVs, comes out of ventilation shafts and just hangs it on the ceiling. Okay, so if you laid down on the floor, would you be fine? No, because York doesn't know how to crawl. Oh. York is only ever vertical. And the annoying thing about this one is it's also camouflage sometimes, but not all the time. <laughs> and really, the this is like what I was talking about where the game becomes very tedious, is that combat against these things is not difficult. It just takes a long time. Yeah. You have to spend a lot of time fighting this thing to just kill one of them. And then you'll go down the hall a bit and another one will come out. It's like, oh. shit. And you can't run past it because the game, very much in uh, beat-em-up style, just walls off everything with red vines. And like, shit. There's a gauntlet of these later where you have to fight like seven in a row. Oh, fantastic. Uh, they're kind of like a boss, but they show up so frequently in unimportant moments that they're not. Pretty much, if you walk into a hallway and you see it's a long hallway, you're going to be ready to fight a few of these. Uh, anyways, as you work your way through, you end up finding, oh, the rank of killer was here. You make your way into the main lobby, and you see that Diane is strung up on top of a giant tree-like statue in front that's very sharp. That's when George, Emily, and Thomas all come in. You see that Nick's also laying on the ground, and he's like, looks all covered in dirt and stuff. Oh no, he's not dead. No, just unconscious. Okay. So at this point, George, being the macho man he is, because they see that the chain's going to fall, and she's going to fall on top and impale herself, he's like, I gotta stop this. And he starts pushing the giant crystal tree over. Of course. <laughs> and he's like, he's actually pushing, and it, the chains snap off the walls. <laughs> he doesn't push it over, though, because this is a realistic game. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the chain's going to snap. There's no time. Uh, York ends up running up to the top, jumping and catching her just as it calls over the tree. And he's like, George, catch! And George catches them. So, to clarify, Nick, di- or not Nick, York diving through the air catches her as she falls. And then the two of them are caught by George collectively. Yeah. That is actually pretty impressive. Well, this year it gets better because we find out her tongue is also removed. And she's starting to spout nonsense. And she grabs Emily by the arm and looks up at the tree, and the tree almost like, oh, I get ya, starts falling over towards them. Okay. Uh, George couldn't move it, but it just falls over Because he broke the chains, so it was wobbling them. Oh, the chains were holding it up? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, York ends up saving Emily, but doesn't save Diane here. Uh, You end up arresting Nick as the main suspect, and then a dog shows up. A dog we know is Willie, who belongs to Forrest Kaysen. Interesting. The dog then leads us through the museum. We get to the Diane's private room in the back, and we notice, hey, there's a bookshelf that's slightly blocking it away. You push it, and game mechanic-wise, and there's a chained, like, hatch in the back. And you hear from inside, Force Cases was like, is anybody out there? Can you let me out? <laughs> you end up shooting the game. But this is the best part about it, because you pull out your gun, and as you take aim and fire, as soon as you're firing the first shot, you're like, Cason, stand back! Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like, bam, 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 into the gate. No warning, just all of a sudden, gunshots. I hear gunshots, are you okay? <laughs> so, Kaysen ends up getting out of the, the place and talking to York, who he, he pretty much gives the story of what he encountered, and it's that 
he was there having a meeting with Diane. Nothing suspicious, of course. He definitely wasn't doing other things with her. He was just there for a meeting because he likes art at midnight, locked in her chamber in a special room. All right. Sounds reasonable. But apparently he was there with her. They were drinking. Nick shows up. He's like, oh, you got to hide because we can't let Nick see you. But they're not fucking or anything. So it's cool. Kaysen, on their hand, we find a very big ladies man. Uh, Kaysen was locked in there because Diane decided you're going to hide in the hatch. And then he got in the hatch. I'm going to go talk to Nick, but I'm going to lock the hatch just in case. <laughs> of course, as you do. <laughs> and he says that while he was down there, he heard some talking. He couldn't make it who it was. And then what sounded like boot thumps of a man. Okay, some more evidence that it is a man. Yeah. Uh, so essentially it's like, well, who could have done it? There was only three people there. And Nick's the clear suspect because Kaysen couldn't have done it because he was in the hatch. Right. So you lock up Nick. And Nick is no longer part of the story for the rest of the thing, even though he's in the police station the whole time. <laughs> you never, you don't, you, like, you could go there and talk to Nick. Not required. You don't have to do anything with Nick anymore. He's gone. Forget about him. He does not matter anymore. Okay. <laughs> he does not exist. So after this, the story kind of hits a dead end. George is having a real emotional moment. Who he, He's been very hostile towards you. And now he finally starts calling you York and not Agent Morgan. And he asks you to go drinking with him. Oh. He ends up talking about how uh, he got a scar. Like, he, like it just comes up because he's like talking about a scar. He's like, oh, I got him from my mother who beat me and told me to say sorry to the trees because I hurt the trees more than it hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, fuck. <laughs> but then he starts talking about how he feels like he's personally responsible for the deaths of Becky and Diane because he cut the wire that killed Becky and he pushed the tree which killed Diane. I'll give him the Becky one. It's like, okay, the Becky one, you probably should have listened to York. The Diane one, I'm honestly more impressed you pushed the tree. Yeah, I'm surprised you pushed enough to break the two chains which may or may not have led to someone's death. I still feel like it's impressive that you did what you did. No one can fault you for what you did. Uh, but you're there drinking, and then Emily shows up, for some reason, in a full-on, like, gown <laughs> at this very shady bar. And George's like, I gotta go. And he just leaves. And you and uh, uh, Emily just have a conversation uh, over drinks. Emily is very big in the movies. That's what all the conversation is. She starts asking you directly about Zach. And it's like, I don't want to talk about this. He's <laughs> my imaginary friend. Don't worry. Well, then uh, he leaves. You go back to your hotel. And you're pretty much at different points at the end of each chapter. Uh, York will specifically ask you a Zach questions to see if you're paying attention and know what's going on. And you have to guess the correct answers. Like, what did we find at the crime scene? Red seeds. Oh, yeah? Well, who cut the wire? Uh, George. <laughs> what time was it when this happened? Uh... <laughs> He's, like, grilling you on this stuff. But, like, the funny thing is, the first few times this happens... It's very clear because the item looks a lot better than the other items. But then I think the game realized what was going on. It's like, oh, they're getting this too early. Instead of going back and fixing the earlier ones, it just makes them all silhouettes at later on. <laughs> That's great. But uh, after this happens for a bit, uh, Emily then shows up at your hotel room. And you end up having a conversation. And you finally come clean about Zach. They're like, oh, when I was younger, my father, who was also an FBI agent, killed my mother. And I was there to witness it. And that's when my oldest friend, Zach, showed up. And he's been with me ever since. And now I'm an FBI agent. And he specifically told me before he killed himself after killing my mother that sometimes you have to purge things from this world because they should not exist, even if it means losing something you love. And then kills himself. All right. Lovely message to leave your child. Yep. Uh, so they end up just drinking and talking for the night. She goes, 
And this is when uh, York and Zach start having arguments about uh, who's going to end up with Emily. Because <laughs> York's like, I think I like Emily, uh, you know, in a professional sense. It wouldn't be appropriate to do anything more in investigation. Do you like her, Zach? She seems to like you. She asked a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just having this conversation with himself. So the next morning, this is where... Uh, remember how I told you earlier, remember that when Harry, uh, uh, Harry uh, uh, Stewart said, when the time is right, come look for me. You're there drinking coffee in the morning, you pick it up and there's a bunch of like newspapers on, and the coffee rings around the words go, and the first letter of each thing says Harry. And it's like, of course, I gotta go to Harry. <laughs> coffee? This is, what Cal- this is what Harry was talking about. The coffee would give me signs. <laughs> so you end up going very far off the map to meet Harry, who starts giving you a bunch of puzzles. Because this whole mansion is just a puzzle mansion. You have to move things around and open correct doors and get umbrellas and put them in statues. It's a long situation. And he keeps tasking you to go and find things before he will give you information. So the first one's like, oh, the trees involved with the murder. They're specifically somewhere in the town where it's very crowded, but not very loud. It's like, oh, the graveyard, of course. And you go to the graveyard and the trees are growing in the back of the graveyard. Mm, the red trees. are giving the seeds. But they also grow a lot of other places in this town. There's at least three other places in the town that have it. I'm not going to mention them just yet, because I'll save that for the reveal at the end. Because I will say, out of everything in this game, this game is very good that you can actually solve everything about this game in the first chapter, but you still have to play through all of it. Yeah. Okay. You can know exactly who the killer is right off the bat, if you know what to look for. Huh. And then, uh, as soon as all this happens, you go back, he's like, oh, well... What ended up happening was there was a lot of stuff that happened back in the 50 years ago when the town went mad and the first Ranko killer appeared and started killing villagers. Uh, it's like, oh, that never happened. I would have known, but I'm the FBI agent. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I was here. <laughs> 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 and I can tell you that uh, there is a special file in the police station that will tell you exactly what you're looking for. So you have to go to the police station. To get... So it's just a big bunch of French crusts around town. But this is where the, some funny stuff starts happening because at this point, Thomas disappears. Uh, so Emily and George are off looking for Thomas while you're doing this Harry fetch quest. Yeah. You get there, and as soon as you get to the police station, it's immediately to a scene of George going, God damn it, York, I told you there's no fairy tales. <laughs> and he, pretty much uh, George ends up agreeing, like, fine, whatever, you can look for it as long as it doesn't take up time doing other stuff. So you end up looking through the police station to find the case files. You find that the police station was broken into and the files were stolen. This is where the game, uh, again, uh, to say the game goes off the deep end here is a bit of a weird statement considering what's happened so far. Yeah. But at this point, since Thomas is in there, you don't get your lunch anymore from Thomas. So Emily's kind of the one in charge of cooking. And uh, if you peeked in Emily's house earlier, you would see that the oven has just large black scorch marks up the back of the wall. Oh. Okay. So he starts heating the food and immediately describes it as a sewer system. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so it's just this huge joke about she can't cook. And then after they're talking about what happened, they come to the conclusion, well, only one other person would have keys to this room to steal the file. That's Thomas who's gone missing. Mm. So Thomas immediately jumps up to being one of the top suspects. Uh, and he's like, I need to think. I know what you know. What I need to think. Coffee. Bring me my coffee. So he tells Emily to go get him coffee. She comes back and he just complains about everything. Like, oh, this isn't the cup Thomas always brought me when he made me my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and he drinks it. And he, he gets this really scrunched up face. He goes, delicious. Because <laughs> <laughs> at this point, 
he professionally likes Emily. So he doesn't want to say anything to right. me. And she just starts like, that's not what your face is saying. <laughs> and, and this is where we get the most outlandish connection of clues. He drinks the coffee. He's like, I know where the files are. And it's like, what are you talking about? And he turns the cup around and there's a picture of a waterfall that's in the town. He's like, we're going fishing. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so you're introduced to the fishing mini game if you haven't played it up to this point. And you're actually up at the waterfall fishing and you pull the files out of the water. <laughs> And they never explain the logical conclusion York made to come up with the conclusion that, oh, the person took it and threw it into the waterfall. It's just, yeah, that's where the files were. You get a surprising amount of information doled out to oh. you through coffee cups. Oh. Yeah. I can't remember the details, but I did read an explanation to that yesterday. Oh? I, I can't remember the details, so I'll look. I'll start looking it up, seeing, see if I can find it now. But you can keep... Oh, sure. But uh, the, the part that makes it so great is the fact that we very quickly realize that Emily seems to be the only normal person in this town because she reacts how a normal person would. But that doesn't make any sense. Why was it there? How did you know it was here? And George's like, okay. <laughs> I think George has just kind of like released himself to the uh, idea that it's Francis York Morgan at yes. this point. He's just accepted that this is his life now, dealing with York <laughs> for the rest of time. So you then take this back to Harry, who then you have to solve your way through the last puzzle of the mansion. And you find that there's a secret underground lair, Ooh. which has a bunch of computer screens. He finally takes off his mask and talks to you. So no more rhyme assistant. And he starts talking about the history of the original Ranko killer, how it was his father. And what he witnessed when he was younger was there was this purple gas being pumped into the city by uh, soldiers on top of the clock tower, which is the uh, town hall. A and it made everyone go crazy and start killing each other. And the military put a gag order on the town, and it just kind of got forgot about because no one talked about it. But he remembers, and he believes that the Renko killer knows about what the truth of that incident was, and is taking the mantle for himself. Of course. Okay. Oh, um, Matt has I, an explanation I, for the waterfall. Yeah, I found the quote from uh, the internet. However, inspiration strikes when York receives some, according to him, disgusting coffee in a mug with a picture of the Velvet Falls on it. Remembering the water stains at the scene of the missing files, he travels there in hopes of fishing out the case that the files are contained in. That makes less sense, because that means that the person was already at the waterfall, then went to pick up the files, bringing water from the waterfall to the files, damaging them with water, then bringing the files back to the waterfall. That makes less sense than magic <laughs> or, coffee. There is one other option. They went into the police station, stole the files, threw them in the waterfall, went back to the station, said, hope no one figures out about that waterfall. Or... Third option, I, I, I'll allow for a third option. They bring the entire case of files to throw them into the water. As soon as they throw the files in, they're like, wait, no, I only wanted to throw the specific files. So now there's water stains on all the other files, which oh, they then be fair, bring back to the station. It is actually the full file case that's thrown in there. Oh, well, then I don't fucking know. <laughs> Maybe there was just a leaky ceiling or something. <laughs> uh, so, uh, as saying, Harry ends up giving you the whole spiel about the history of what happened with the original Ranko killer and how he disappeared on that day and the military was responsible for the gas that made people go crazy which kind of ties into the ghosts where it's like whenever you see the ghost is this purple gas so at the same time the idea is that there's some sort of gas that's causing illusions so that could tie in to what we're seeing when you're doing the investigations which is why the dude wears the gas mask exactly because he saw the gas work uh when he was younger that caused his father to go mad and be the raincoat killer originally which caused the whole legend in the first place where it came back with the new killer. Right. 
then, as it's going on, you get a radio call saying, we've located Thomas. As this is happening, and you're getting ready to leave, uh, Harry's like, oh, one more thing, York. Because uh, at this point, he's like, you have all this information because you hacked the FBI and all these details. And as he's leaving, he's like, York, and thank you for listening to the rambles, little old man. Because clearly, I didn't hack into the FBI database. And I'm just speaking about random nonsense that doesn't exist because he has the only file now. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, isn't that right, York? <laughs> of course. So you end up going off to find Thomas in his house. You end up finding uh, a record playing and women's clothes. And you start putting stuff together. And it's like, hmm, either Thomas disappeared into this bathtub and a woman left it. Or Thomas put himself in women's clothing and left the bathtub. One of those makes a lot more sense. And I assume it's that Thomas disappeared in the bathtub and then a woman left. Yeah. So you end up trying to track down where Thomas is. You end up driving off while uh, Jordan and Emily are also searching the town. But you encounter the ghost of Anna. I might add it's raining at this point too, which is like when all the murders happen. And there's no anagram in this. No. Her name is just anagram. Okay. Still disappointed about that. <laughs> it's a red herring. Just move past it. You end up following her all the way to Carol's bar, which is Thomas's sister. You end up working your way into the back room and finding essentially a sex torture dungeon. And you find the mysterious necklace this whole time that had the upside down uh, peace symbol. As you grab it and you're looking at it, someone hits you behind the head. It's Thomas in a woman's dress. Because, of course. Yeah. So, Thomas takes you off and you don't know what happens. At this point, the game switches over. You're now playing as Emily. Trying to find York. So, your the next scene is... I don't know how they made the connection of where to go here. It's just that it's now Kason, uh, Emily... And George, all in this sex dungeon. It's like, well, York was here, but he's not anymore. And you, and the reason they know he was there is because his cigarette is on the ground. Right, because he only takes one puff and then just yeah. drops it. Also, I just want to mention one other thing. York, when he went into the dungeon and picked him neck, is like, I know who the killer is. And then immediately got knocked out. <laughs> so, uh, at this point, Emily ends up coming to the idea of, wait, Kason, his dog find York. So he gets him to sniff the cigarette and you end up chasing the dog around town to find York. Of course. You end up finding him at the clock tower and uh, Emily then heads into the clock tower to save York. This is where something interesting happens because it starts to rain again and Emily goes into the clock tower and starts fighting the ghosts. Emily's fighting the ghosts now? Okay. She's fighting the ghosts on her way up the clock tower. All the while this is going on, it keeps cutting the scenes of uh, York who's tied up with a bag over his head in uh, a room you don't know where it is you find it's a clock tower when you get there of course but he's first has a conversation with thomas about like oh you like i know you're not responsible for this you're doing this for a specific person you are a nice person you don't you haven't killed anybody take your sister and leave like, just get out of town before it gets too bad for you he's like i can't i love this person so much uh some more clues are coming into play with this information of course but york already knows who the killer is uh, and essentially thomas says when I leave this room, it's going to be me or Emily coming back. The other one's going to be dead. They'll decide your fate. He goes down, just Emily comes up, and there's a fight between Emily and Thomas. This is the first boss fight of the game. Very late into the game, and it's a very weird one. Because essentially it's Thomas in a dress doing spins on a bunch of gears in a clock tower. And shooting at you, and shooting down an infinite number of those chime things that go back and forth at a clock. Okay. They're just coming flying at you. I don't know how many are in this clock tower, but there's a lot. Huh. Uh, essentially... And here's the thing, you're on a platform, he's on these gears, and you're shooting at each other. 
when you finally get his health down to zero, he falls down. He's all crying. It's like, Thomas, take my hand. Like, it's not too late. And he's like, I hate you so much, Emily. (laughs) And he pulls out a knife. And it's like, there's a good gap that's probably about five to ten feet between you two. Just randomly pulling that knife there is not going to do you any favors. But the dog ends up jumping out of nowhere and biting his arm. (laughs) And because of this, he kind of throws the knife up. He's like, oh no. And he looks up and the knife goes back down and stabs him. (laughs) And he falls off the clock tower. But he doesn't fall off the clock tower just randomly down to his death. He ends up impaling himself on a hook. He has like the most Mr. Magoo death. That is spectacularly bad. Wow. And then it goes back to York. And who comes through the door? Not Emily, but the fucking dog, Willie. Willie? Willie comes through and unties you. (laughs) 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 Woo! (laughs) So Willie unties you. You take the mask off and you go back out. You find Thomas dead and Emily's all upset. And then that's when York's like, well, Emily's like, oh, we solved the case. We figured out who did it. It was Thomas. He's like, no, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? Completely unfazed that there's this head, dead hanging body just <laughs> rattling behind him. He's like, the killer's George. Yeah. He loved G. He loved G. George. And this is the fun thing about the game, how it comes, all the clues come together. Right off the bat, uh, he specifies that the killer is someone who really loves, just loves a woman. Uh, and uh, George even answers back when he asks that question. He's like, well, uh, it's like, do you hate women, George? He's like, no, I actually love women. At the beginning of the game, uh, there is three locations that grow the red trees. The graveyard, George's house, and the police station. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. And we then find out, uh, this is a bit later in the game where it gets defined exactly, but the upside down peace symbol only appears on the back of the person when they have the vest on because the scars, uh, it blocks out all the rest of them and you only see the peace symbol one when the thing's on his back. So that's why I thought it was the upside down peace symbol this whole time. When it's actually his uh, bag is full of scars. Okay. So you end up setting a trap. It's like, okay, we're going back to the police station. Thomas is dead. So all of you head back to the police station. You force Kaysen along for some goddamn reason. Yep. <laughs> so you get to the police station. You fight your way into a secret, not facility, but chamber underneath the police station. <laughs> In very much like Resident Evil fashion. Yeah, so the police station can't just be a normal police station. It has to have secret chambers with puzzles. Well, it's in, the ba- it's in the back of a jail cell. And it's got, like, a ritual chamber. (laughs) (laughs) This is where you find uh, one of the last victims, Carol. Yep. Who uh, is lying on the ground. Her tongue is also cut out. And you tell her, oh, Thomas is dead. And then she takes a bunch of the seeds and just shoves them in Emily's mouth. We find out this is bad because the seeds, in relation to uh, what's been going on, is the seeds are actually what's used to make that gas that makes people go crazy. Right. So that's why all the victims that have been alive so far have been delusional and crazy is because they've ingested a shitload of these seeds and Emily's now just swallowed a shitload of these. So she's a goner. So after this happens, uh, York's like, case and take her to Dr. Usha. You need to get her liver and uh, stomach pumped. I'm like, I don't know you can pump a, like, pump a liver. How do you do yeah, that? Yeah, how do you pump a liver? <laughs> but anyways, Kaysen's like, no, you gotta come with me. I, you can't, like, you need to come with me. That's, like, really important. Like, you can't leave her like this. He's like, no, do this. I gotta go stop him. So, uh, as he's like, a fine whatever, but don't blame me for anything. And then drives off. And then you look back, and then the raincoat killer's standing there in the doorway. And he just turns around, kicks the door open, and walks into the police station. <laughs> so this is the big showdown. Uh, so you end up fighting your way through the police station against these ghosts. You get to the roof, and... It's the big showdown with you, and then George goes over his whole thing about how 
Uh, he has to kill five people who cannot speak to complete the ritual and become immortal. That's why he cuts out their tongues. Yeah. Okay. Specifically bites out their tongues. Ah. No, it's not cut. He bites out their tongues. Okay. Yeah. You worry about the me- mechanics of that later. But he essentially set this all up to become a god of this town and set Thomas up to be the fall guy, essentially. Yes. That's why all the evidence ends up playing right. Thomas at the end. And this is where I think so, because he fights you in his gimp suit at the end. Okay, of course. And, and he ends up transforming into this giant demon thing, and you find him on the roof. And this came, like, the, the, the boss fight here, the mechanic of it, you have to let him charge, you get behind him and shoot the symbol on his back. And that ends up essentially being the thing for killing him, essentially. And then after you do this whole thing, he's like, oh, I'm going to kick your ass anyways. And he throws the axe at you. And in a quick time event that doesn't do any buttons, you literally have full control to do whatever you want. But you have to do it before the axe gets to you. Doesn't tell you what you have to do, but you have to shoot the axe back at him. Single bullet sends the axe back at him. Yeah, and then it lodges in him and then lightning strikes him and he dies. Bullet to axe to lightning. Bullet axe lightning. So the weird cloud thing goes down, the rain stops, and he's just normal sized again with the axe sticking out. Which, this ends up adding more to the idea that the illusions and all that stuff you're seeing might not be specifically what's in York's mind, but illusions created specifically by the seed. Because we find out that when it rains, it causes the, tr- the seeds that are in the ground to secrete this. And every time you've had one of these fights where you're seeing the weird stuff, it's always been around these trees in the rain. Okay. So the PlayStation has the red tree, Becky says has the red tree. And the dude with the gas mask also, I think he believed that the gas, or... Is what was driving people mad. Residual gas was in the topsoil around the town. So every time it rained, it made people hallucinate. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. So that's what I was saying, where the game does a really cool thing of trying to explain the mechanics of the combat, even though it was kind of shoehorned afterwards. Okay. It's like, hey, why is that guy shooting in the hospital? Ah, don't worry, he's probably just hallucinating. Which means, if it is just a purely hallucination, he's still firing his gun off in these public areas. Yeah. (laughs) It's just purely lucky coincidence that he's not firing his gun off in a room full of people. Yeah, don't worry, our sheriff does it all the time. So, you end up killing George, and this is when you realize, wait a second, it wasn't a peace symbol, it was a tree. Because you can see the shadow of the tree uh, of him, because with his arms like this and the axe stick out, it makes the sun shine a shadow of a tree onto the... He's like, oh, of course, and he passes out, because the fight was so intense. <laughs> Next scene, cuts to you waking up. And Usha is next to your hostelhood playing chess. And he's like, oh, you're finally awake. I want to play another game of chess with you. And he's like, I don't have time. Where's Emily? It's like, Emily? Don't know where she's at. He's like, K- I told Kaysen to bring He's like, Kaysen dropped off this envelope and told you to read it when you woke up. Yeah, you've been out unconscious for two days. <laughs> so you look at the envelope and it's got the symbol on it. And it's like, ah. Mm. <laughs> so it's got the key to George's house. You drive off to George's house. All the while this is going on. It's raining, and it seems the hallucination's gotten much worse, because as soon as you get out of the hospital, there's just a giant-ass dog standing there. It's like, hmm, that... Now, here's the funny thing about this. The first time I encountered this scene, I was like, this is clearly just the game fucking up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've tried to play this game so many times, and I've never been quite able to finish the game, because the game keeps crashing and running into problems. The PC port is horrible for this. The Switch game even crashed on me once. Oh. Yes. Okay. So I, the first time I encountered this, when I was playing the game for the first time, I was like... Oh, this is just the game fucking up. It's clearly just the dog model that got fucked up. And then it jumps at you and knocks you over like, shit, they got to a car. <laughs> and this whole part is you just running from this giant dog through town trying to get to George's house. Of course. Is it a giant version of Willy? 
Uh, no, it's just a giant, like, German Shepherd-like dog. Oh, okay. And this really fucks with some of the game mechanics, because I was driving the car, and sometimes it would spawn under me and just rocket me into the air, so my car's just flipping for a good 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, amazing. So you get to uh, uh, George's house. Again, the tree's in the back. You get there, and the house looks like it belongs to a serial killer. <laughs> all the windows are boarded up. There's mannequins all over the goddamn house. There's a weird shrine to Emily. <laughs> we find George madly in love with Emily. And then we get to the basement, and it looks like there's a woman in the chair. We get to the chair, it's a mummified woman with trees growing up to her. We find out, at this point, that, oh, the tree was the symbol. Of course, it all links back to the person who knows the secret of making these red trees grow, Casey. And when it goes into a person, it ends up growing the tree and kills the person. Yep. Right. And then right next to the photo of the, the dead uh, mother, which is George's mother, that he killed, there's a photo of George and Kaysen, all buddy-buddy with a thumbs up, <laughs> and written on it's like... Come to the clock tower. So this is where the game reaches its final climax. And the game here ends up doing a weird turn. It immediately shifts to a flashback. 50 years ago. You are now the raincoat killer on that eve. So you're Harry's father. Okay. And at this part, you start walking through town and the bell starts chiming on the clock tower. And you have to work your way there. And the, the, the most absurd thing happens, and I know that's the, another interesting thing to say at this point, but as you're the raincoat killer running through town, murdering people that you were playing, trying to get to this clock tower, uh, it starts playing Amazing Race. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. It what? just starts playing Amazing Race as you're running through town with the bells chiming in the background as you murder people, and you fight your way to the clock tower. And you get to the clock tower... Uh, there's another herd of people and you have to fight them and then the game immediately does a shift cut and you are now York standing where the raincoat killer was and it's the same thing it's raining there's townspeople running around and this is the part I was talking about where if they would have put more time on the townsfolk it could have been more emotional literally all the townsfolk are standing around you and you have to fight your way through them you don't have to kill them you, okay. like, the mission specifically says don't kill anybody Okay. Yeah. so you have to get past them all into the clock tower and this is where you have your big showdown with Casey Emily's there and she's just kind of sitting in a chair with a blanket over and it's like yeah! And then she stands up and there's a tree sticking out of her stomach. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, she's gone. Her. So she gives you the, the question. She's like, York, I need you to shoot me. And then immediately he's like, what do I do? Do I? So you get the option to point the gun at yourself, point the gun at her, or point the gun at Kaysen. Point at yourself or Kaysen ends the game. I Why would pointing the gun at yourself even be an option? Well, because the flashback we get involved with this is we get another flashback to the moment when his mother died. Right. And we see the camera pans over slightly in case it's standing there. What? Oh, yep. <laughs> also, uh, remember how I was telling you the military was on top of the clock tower shooting gas into the area? Yeah. Kaysen was also there. Of course he was. So also, the big reveal is that Kaysen was in charge of all of this. He was working for the military, taught them how to make the poison gas, and he's the one who gave George the idea of killing the people and becoming immortal. Also, red trees, forest. Oh no, I got that much earlier. Also, the KF he sees in, or FK he sees in his uh, coffee is clearly forced. Case and regardless. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> so, uh, you end up having to kill Emily. Well, you aim at her, you shoot and you miss. And it's like, I can't do it, Zach. And then she ends up pulling the tree out herself. Like, oh no, it's okay, I understand. I'll take care of this. And just pulls the tree out, killing herself. But she also kills the sapling. This pisses off Case. This is where Kaysen's like, well, I'm going to kick your ass. You have a bit of a fight with Kaysen, and you can't beat Kaysen. Kaysen turns into a giant fat blob that bounces around the room, and you have to knock him back. He ends up having this big spiel about being a demon who came from 
of the Red Room, which is this room that you see throughout the game in between chapters where you talk to ghosts and dead people and the twins that look like angels. Okay. And a little boy. Okay. Who is also you. Okay. So... Sound confused again, Matthew. I don't understand what's confusing. You end up winning the fight against Case, and you find that you can't beat him, and you get put in the red room again, and they're all like, "He's near." But then the room ends up becoming the white room, which is the red room, but it's white. You following? So it's like acceptance. So you end up facing yourself in the white room as a child, but this other child has white hair. Okay. And then the big twist of the game is, uh, where we find out what Zack finally is, you find out that when it's in the flashback, it's like, it's when he's talking to you, he says, I'm sorry, Zack, blah, 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 all this stuff. You find out Zack is the actual personality. And York is the actual imaginary friend. Exactly. So York is the imaginary friend who took over as a coping mechanism to protect Zack this whole time. So... And that's why he's very adamant that everyone just call him York. Because, well, that's the thing, he was... There's a lot of debate about this specifically, if he was referring, because he's a government official. He can't be referring to himself as York, officially. So the idea is that he is saying, my name is Francis Zach Morgan, but call me York. But his mind, where it's protecting him from right. the trauma, he's hearing himself say it. And that's why everyone seems confused when he said, just call me York. Because everyone seems honestly confused about it when it comes up. Right. So every time someone would call him York or Zach, he would hear York regardless. That's that the idea. is a... Decent coping mechanism he's got right there. Yeah. So that ends up happening. His hair is white, and we find out Kaysen attacked him, but left him to like suffer or whatever because he likes seeing humans suffer because he's a demon, apparently. Yep. So you end up falling under the stage into this giant tower, and you have to run from him. At this point, Zach's in full control, and York, the imaginary friend, stayed with Emily. So you as Zach are fighting off against him, and this is where the machine gun came into really important for me to beat this game because the final boss is you got to fight a giant Kaysen who is impervious except for he has a Kaysen doll that when you shoot it, he takes damage. And when you get him down to the last sliver of damage to kill him, he puts it in his overall, overall pouch that you can't shoot at until he slams his hand on the ground and you have to climb up onto his shoulder and aim down and shoot. Oh. But the time frame to do this is so goddamn quick that any, because the game has tank controls, any gun, you just cannot get it. And if you do, he heals up a bit and you have to fight him over again. So all single action weapons, which are almost every gun in the game, does this. But the machine gun, you can just blind fire like a madman. <laughs> which is the only reason I beat this game because I tried for a good 15 to 20 minutes with the handgun trying to shoot that goddamn doll. It just wouldn't work. So I just like, fuck it, switch the machine gun. Gonna hit it eventually. You end up beating him. His head explodes. He's like, how could a human defeat me? And... Fight over, essentially. You end up going back up. You uh, find Emily's body. You have a farewell to York. So you're, you're back in your mind palace, red, white room thing. And it's like, goodbye, York. Uh, I don't need you anymore. He's like, I'm going to stay with all the dead victims in the fairyland and the trees. So they kind of go off together into the forest. And then there's, <laughs> there's another scene where he's... So York now has white hair and the scar, which it's he probably had the whole time. Yeah. But he's getting drilled back into the town and he sees what looks like Emily standing off on the side. He's like, wait a second, let me out here for a moment. He goes into the forest and encounters the twins and their grandfather again. And he's having like a conversation with the grandfather. And the twins come back. He's like, she told us to give you this. And put like puts a hand on it. And he's like, what? And he looks up. And uh, I think it's a necklace. Yeah. It's a necklace. And he lo- and he's like, she said she couldn't give it to you directly. So 
uh, they get, wanted me to, us to give that to you. And the grandpa's like, what? That's weird. And he's like, no, I understand. He looks up and you can see like their ghost forms like at the end of like Return of the Jedi, just all standing in the forest nodding at him. <laughs> so it's all of them dead with red dresses on in York. <laughs> and then uh, essentially the last mission in the game is to go back to the hotel and you can decide to leave or not. And as you leave, you leave town. The, the weird part about this too is, is you're leaving town. It's your uh, fr- uh, Zach, who is the, now the playable character, walks up to the bridge from the beginning of the game, no car in sight, and starts walking off. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> but then uh, maybe as like a possible like, hmm, maybe something else is gonna happen. You see Willie, the dog, walk back up, and it's got the the chew toy of Casein uh, in his mouth. And then Ryoko walks off, and he looks sad. And he drops the toy and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final scene of the game is. It's at the diner uh, that so much stuff happened at. It's just all the characters that are dead. <laughs> so uh, they're just all there in the diner eating. And then uh, Emily and York kiss, and that's it. All right. And that's the story of Deadly Premonition. So yes, someone's fever dream. I feel like I've had an hour-long stroke. That's that's what I think just happened. I mean, there's so many weird situations, because the game, I don't want to say it's so bad that it's good, because the gameplay itself is horrible but, yeah, but when you look at the story and how it and unfolds how, in the characters it's actually an amazing yeah, story when you look past how outlandish everything seems it actually sounds like a really good story that's thing like it's like the story is amazing i'm so excited that they're finally making deadly premonition 2 and th- that's kind of the thing i'm struggling with it's like what do i want them to change specifically for example if there's driving please fix the driving i want the driving to actually work i don't want to be swerving all over the goddamn road and then flying into the air for 20 minutes because a dog hit me yeah but at the same time, do I want them to fix the animations or the weird music cues? No. No. It's spectacular. And as I said, for example, we know that York is returning in the th- in the new game, and he refers to himself as York because he has the dark hair, not the white hair. So people are like, well, what's that mean? Because at the end, as soon as they solve the murders, uh, York and Zack separate. They're no longer together. They can no longer see each other again. Right. So what's that going to mean for the story moving forward in that new one? But uh, even with all that, it's just a fun experience. And I like again, it's it's a horror game, but it's not really scary. It's a lot of ridiculous things. It's just really fun. Also, yeah. a, a tiny little tidbit I came across about Willie the dog. Apparently, he was supposed to have a really deep, fleshed-out backstory. But oh, I would not be surprised. They never got any time or chance to actually put it into the game. Who is he working on that combat? Yep. And apparently, what the map of the town is done up in like the silhouette of Willy. I did not know that. I'll have to look at that later. Sure. And that's the thing. Like, I don't want them to bring back Green uh, Vale or even the characters. Just having York continue the story, I feel like does good. And it could even be because we know that the second game is going to take place in two different timelines. Where we play the new character in the 2018, and. Uh, 10 years prior, we're going to play uh, York, uh, which timeline-wise, that comes out roughly at the same time as the events of the first game. Yeah. So it could be it's what happened just before. The only issue with this is because, so there's the director's cut of the game. The director's cut adds new, well, first off, it tries, it claims to fix some of the mechanics in the game, but it adds some new scenes between all the chapters, which is what opens up instead of uh, having the scene with, uh, just York driving into town, it opens up with the scene of an old man and a girl who also looks horrifying, but in higher quality. 
uh, asking to hear a story. And he's like, oh, I'm going to tell you a very interesting story about something very uh, real that happened close to my heart and all that stuff. And between each of it, it's him telling this girl, who we later find out is called Emily, all these stories. And then the big reveal at the end is that the old man is actually Zach telling his granddaughter, who's actually not named Emily, (laughs) for some reason. Uh, I can't remember what her name was. Jesus. It's like Olivia or something like that. I can't remember. Because it's such a a random, like, nonsense thing. I I guess you could use Emily as a nickname. Yeah, and the last scene of the game, because of this, is it does the diner scene again, but at the end, after they kiss, they look back, and old man Zach walks into the room, and then York wakes up and is like, ah, good to see you. And it's like, uh, even though you haven't heard me, I've always been there with you, and I know you've heard that recent rumblings about that case in New Orleans, right? Uh, about the people that have apparently lost control of their bodies and started going crazy. And then you get three options that you can reply with. It's like, when are we going? I thought you'd say that. And like, just random stuff like that. And then that's supposed to hint at the sequel. We also know that uh, even though part of the game takes place in Boston for the future, we know the past stuff takes place in New Orleans, (laughs) which opens up the, well, this is before, but after, but old man Zach was the one who saw, what's going on? (laughs) Okay. The best part about this too is because the scene before the diner scene is like, it's during the end credits and the little girl's like, mom, grandpa's missing. (laughs) And then it cuts to the diner scene where old man Zach's like, New Orleans stuff's oh. going on. I see. This is a deadly premonition. It's a premonition that he's seeing from the second game of what's going to happen after the events of the second game, which is the first game, which is what you first experienced. I'm just excited. For which is why it's a premonition. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is what our podcast is about. <laughs> well, I just want to talk about some theories is that one of the biggest things that people are still debating right now... Willie is actually Zack's dog! Well, it's Kaysen, actually. That's the big thing of a debate. Because everything else in the game can be explained with the seeds create some weird chemical that makes everyone hallucinate. But Kaysen's the odd one out in this. Because we find out there's victims all across town. Kaysen apparently doesn't age. Well, maybe, he's maybe been there, there for... is a secret to immortality hidden behind the seeds. <laughs> but at the same time, he claims he's a demon. <laughs> which is like the most far out thing in this. Because everything yeah. else kind of, they try to backtrack at the end of the game to rationally explain why you're seeing the ghosts, the weird idea that uh, both the murders and how they work is that it's specifically for a ritual to get uh, some sort of immortality godhood. But then Kaysen just kind of feels so <laughs> left field and out of place at the end there. Because, again, he was there 50 years ago when the military was pumping the gas. He was there at the death of York's parents. And then finally, he, at the end, is like, I'm a demon. I just like causing chaos and seeing humans suffer. Of course. And you could argue that was just more of like the interpretation of what uh, York was seeing at the end with Zach and York. Because like, oh, this guy's responsible for my parents' death. All these murders. He's a demon. That's my Mm -hmm. internal thing. But at the end, there's a scene when you're leaving the uh, hotel. You're like, oh, Polly, what's that photo in the back? He's like, oh, that's a photo from 50 years ago of like old, like my old friends back in the day. And Kaysen's just also standing in the back of the photo. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, maybe the second game will answer these questions. I have no, a feeling. It won't. <laughs> I have a very strong feeling that that is not the case, and it is much more likely that the second game will just create more questions to be answered. But isn't part of that the charm of the game? Oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely. The game, regardless of all the stupidity and the crazy stuff, it's just. If you haven't played it, you have to. 
even if you're just going to go through the main story, it's just so fun, and the story is actually amazing. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was just kind of sold on the game after you showed those two clips. That one in the diner. <laughs> yeah, because the music cues in this game, there's four songs in this game. The whistle song, uh, the Emily song, uh, the kind of serious song, and Amazing Grace. <laughs> yes. The music cues just change so randomly in the middle of, like, sentences. They'll just change. And at the same time, the facial animations are just so, like, <laughs> out of nowhere. Well, I did like their disgusted faces when he was telling his stories. Yeah, because in the diner scene, they're, like, talking about, it's like, oh, this uh, case is pretty gruesome. We don't get anything like that around here. And then York's like, hmm, I've had this one case once where there was uh, this guy who killed a bunch of his students and he was using their skulls for drinking of and then urinating into. And I thought this guy was 100% crazy because I can understand wanting to drink out of the skulls, but urinating them and then drinking out of them? That's just that's unsanitary. Not, that's not sanitary. That He was definitely insane. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else was like, yeah, that's not... That's not the that only was not thing our sticking point that was making us uncomfortable with this. So I guess since I was the one who brought up the topic, uh, do you guys have any specific questions about deadly prevention you would like me to answer? Plenty of questions. Nothing you can answer. I, 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 I highly doubt you one. can answer them. I got one real quick. My my question about this is what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have any specific questions that I need answered. That's fair. I'm still just kind of thinking back to that waterfall and the water in the room where the case files would have been. Oh yeah, it's there's some ridiculous jumps in logic there. I didn't realize the water uh, at the thing would be like the clue to the waterfall based on the image. I mean, specifically being the waterfall is also a bit off because there's a lake uh, yeah. in the town. But that, wasn't there a waterfall on the, cup, on the mug? On the mug? It's, it's a specific waterfall that's in the town. Okay. It's on his mug. Gotta love the good old Batman logic. And after hearing everything about the first Deadly Premonition, I am I am also kind of excited to see what's coming. Oh, definitely. You guys gotta play the first one if you haven't finished it, and then get ready for number two when it comes out. <laughs> gotta be fully up to date on all the backstory and lore. Even though I'm positive it's not gonna tie back into the first one no. anyway. <laughs> I, I will blow my mind if it wraps up questions from the first game. <laughs> and the fucking Kaysen shows up again. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess that's that for that topic. Uh, before we go into the wrap-up, though, do we happen to have any emails that we need to go over? Yes, we actually have two emails upon close inspection. Oh. Uh, so first of all, we have an email, uh, from our... Oh, my phone's being weird right now and showing me my personal email address. Uh, we have an email from probably our most common commenter, Hannah Bennett. This one is actually a video clip, which is a nice little segue, so we've added some new features. Keith, do you want to take a moment to talk about the new features we've added to... Well, not features, but... New ways we have of promoting ourselves. Oh, sure. Uh, so we now have a functioning YouTube channel, which we are currently updating, uh, uploading all of our episodes to. So currently, we at the time of recording this, we have five episodes up right now. I plan to, before the end of next week, hopefully, or uh, the end of the week as you're listening to this, have all the episodes up there, including this one. Uh, we also have an Instagram page, which will have updates for specifically whenever an episode comes out. Uh, maybe some random things will be in there, and... I actually do this little fun thing every episode where the table we're recording at, I'll put a bunch of related topic stuff on the table and where we like to have you guys try to guess what the episode is with the hint at the end. Uh, we will actually be posting those photos when we record on the Instagram page. So if you follow it, you can actually try to guess and see if you can figure it out while we're recording. And I might actually shout it out if uh, whoever gets it first uh, on the page whenever we're recording. So you might actually get a chance before actually hearing this description to guess what today's podcast was about because I think that's probably the first picture we're going to upload. 
I mean, uh, sometimes it'll be incredibly obvious, like our Pokemon episode, <laughs> where there are just tons of Pokeballs on the table. Uh, so, I know, but they can't prove they guessed it before the episode unless it's through this myth. True. So that being said, we got a video submission through uh, one of our common listeners, uh, and we'll be uploading that to one of our services so you can see exactly what has been shared with us and you can understand exactly what hell we're living in right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a very worrisome. We might have to get a restraining order. <laughs> uh, that being said, we also have another email. Uh, this email comes from one Renee Langell, uh, and it informs us a couple suggestions about how to improve our podcast, which we'll probably go over while we're not recording because you don't need to hear our process. <laughs> as well as a couple suggestions about uh, different topics we could talk about. I mean, if it says be nicer than that, we have been. Right, Matt? Yeah, yes. Matt, I need you to verbally confirm that we have been nicer to you. You're kind of milking that a little hard. <laughs> milking but what? You have been nicer, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, uh, I guess that wraps up our episode. Uh, make sure that uh, you can subscribe to uh, the podcast at YouTube now. You can join us on Instagram. We'll be uploading those photos. We are available at all podcasting locations. Uh, we're up on everything. Make sure to leave a review or even just rate it. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any comments, suggestions, corrections, or just want to say something random that might get read out on a podcast, you can email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Or even easier now, just leave a YouTube comment. That's true as well. Uh, I've heard I that's can't a... guarantee I'm going to read those because it's a YouTube comment. Come True. On. I have heard that YouTube comments are a great way to find positive feedback at all times. Nothing ever negative. <laughs> and make sure to tune in fortnightly uh, to hear the next episode. Yeah. Bye. So uh, for those of you who are, are not aware where this week was Keith's birthday episode, we did a topic that Keith knew about and me and Matt weren't necessarily aware of going into it. Got a similar thing going on uh, a fort week from now. Fort week. Uh, fortnightly, from, fortnightly, uh, fortnight from now, uh, Matt, you give me a mad look, so I'll just say it the other way just to appease you. So in two weeks, we'll be releasing another episode. This one will be my birthday episode. So the hint that you're getting for this in two weeks time, uh, we will talk about the angel who stalks his prey in the night and the one who brings the light. So read into that what you will. I think I already have a decent, uh, guess at that. It's a double penetration. It's double penetration. You got it. As soon as you're firing the first shot, you're like, Kason, stand back.